Tyburn Place. Thanks for joining me. Still in the Race is a podcast about running through the autumn of life, except for when it's not. It's for those looking for a unique perspective on life from someone entirely unqualified to offer a unique perspective. As I sat sorting through my notes from the past two weeks, it quickly became apparent that the only place to start was with the day that had been circled on my calendar since registration opened. I obsess about few things in life, but this was one. I've been looking forward to this morning for two years. Even before deciding to take on this year-long project, this race had a special significance, which is unusual because races are generally on my schedule primarily just to keep me motivated. And despite the pandemic, it had stubbornly remained on the calendar. Small block starting times, limited participants, masks until being released, and instructions to go straight to your vehicle after crossing the finish line. Those were the rules for the day. In a year when my racing schedule had evaporated, the organizers had managed to pull off the one event that I was fixated on. During the days since my first episode, I've given a lot of thought to what I could add to the conversation about remaining in the race, to making a contribution after society has told you that it's time to pack it in and move to the sidelines. I still felt like it was an admirable aspiration, but the closer I came to the moment, the less qualified that I felt. I found myself struggling with where to start. My original thoughts were to set specific goals that could be measured. A race every month was possible, although December and January offer few choices in this part of the country. I never considered that a pandemic would wipe the calendar clean. A thousand miles felt ambitious, ambitious enough that common sense prodded me to not announce it until after the year was over, and I had actually accomplished it. That was 20 miles a week for a year. Very doable, but even a few minor injuries could put me in a position where I would have to stretch to reach the target. And then the real goal of trying to help people that are also sharing this period of life with me. I was long on philosophy and short on anything resembling a goal. The official seasons are on a calendar, but the changing weather measures the running seasons. And looking out my office window, I knew that I was on the clock. I shut down my computer and made the short commute back into the city. Slipped on my running gear as quickly as possible while the sun disappeared. It was a race, a real race. A mix of rain and snow was less than an hour away and I needed to get out on the streets. A soft rain began to fall two miles out and as I started working my way back home, it turned into a slushy mix. It's part of living close to a great lake. Weather forecasts are more like suggestions and you should never be surprised when it arrives early or with an unexpected vengeance. It was also when my thoughts turned to starting. Mindfulness and meditation have elbowed their way into the mainstream of mental health, and for good reason. I've read several of the books and tried setting time aside to learn how to be more present. But I struggled to create the time and found myself trying to do fast meditation, which doesn't sound like a real thing. My personality and lack of commitment had somehow led me to a place where meditation was causing me stress. It would take me some time to realize that the one-size-fits-all methods didn't work well for me. I am in the moment when I am running, every breath, every step, one stride at a time. It is impossible to be more alone than when you are out running. With the snow falling, I realized that my starting point was obvious. It was with me. What did I need to undertake to make a contribution? 
it felt like a better launching spot than attempting to figure out how to fix the world. I lost the race. The weather blew in, and I was soaked by the time I reached the condo. Still, it was one of those nights where the conditions sounded a lot worse than they were. Snow was falling, but there was very little wind, and the temperatures remained above freezing. I don't find snow pretty. All I see is the cold and the shoveling and the sliding cars. However, the first snow was pretty as it glistened off the city lights, and even prettier when it disappeared. Bombardment. A lot of what we call news upsets me. So why do I pay attention to sources that are not just manipulative, but also dangerous? I'm working to trim as much noise out of my life as possible because it's crowding out the information and the people that I find meaningful. If the source, any source, argues against sound science, it has no place for me. If everyone's yelling, I'm not listening. Whoever screams fake news the loudest likely espouses the most fake news. I could make a hundred rules, but generally I find it's best to start with three. And if I stick to them, it's sobering how many sources disappear. I can't change the media, but I can change how I consume it. A book was written a couple years ago that takes the thought process to a more personal level. Who's in your room examines the benefits of limiting the people in your life. My two-sentence summary, move closer to the people who challenge you and make you a better person. Move away from those who eat your time with negativity and make you a smaller person. I want people in my life who have thoughts larger than what will fit on a Twitter post. You'll have to make some exceptions. Yes, family does get a pass, but that doesn't mean that you don't work toward limiting your exposure. I discovered how hard that was for me this week. A Facebook friend sent me a message about the stolen election and requested that I forward it. I checked my list. The science, i.e. data, is very clear that we had a fair election. News on Facebook? Less attention is better. Send me a picture of your puppy. That's what it's good for. As for my friend, I haven't seen him in 40 years. I don't know anything about him. He doesn't know anything about me. He's not actually a friend. Delete. Out of my room. Why was that so hard for me? What if he gets mad at me? Why do I care if he gets mad at me? I spent the next hour deleting more people that took up space in my life without adding anything. I needed to focus on the things and the people that mattered to me. The dirty duel trail race remained on my radar because of my first experience. It was terrible. The weather was freezing. The course was covered with snow. I had underestimated the difficulty and turned in a frustrating performance. I hadn't taken their slogan of, this may be the toughest 5K you'll ever run, serious enough. My description of the race summed up how I was feeling that night. First, it was a difficult 5K because it was 6K. There were sharp uphills and tight, narrow, muddy trails on the way down that wound through the trees. It finished through a rutted corn maze where rather than kicking it in, you were forced to focus on not wrenching an ankle. It was a test a challenge that everyone at the starting line took seriously. I had finished with a bruised shoulder from where I had slammed into a tree and had a bad attitude because I knew the path had defeated me. Crossing the finish line, I was already making my plans for the return a year later, determined to conquer the course. I couldn't let it end that way. I had waited two years for this morning, and it had become even more of a focal point when I missed the race last year due to a family conflict and then signed up for a substitute run in a place that I didn't belong. That experience made me feel even more determined not to let another year pass. I needed to get back on that trail while I was still mad at my performance. 
probably not a very healthy attitude. Regardless, I did get one more race in last year. The time I took to detail the substitute race says a lot about how I felt on that night. I was simply out of my element. Racing through the lights. I was not excited about the challenge before me. Better put, I was annoyed. It was late. It was cold. Everyone was dressed in costumes. I hate dressing in costumes, even at costume parties. The majority of runners weren't there to race. They were there to kick off the holidays as they trotted along through dozens of light displays that were choreographed to music. The race path would take me around a minor league baseball stadium and through a series of Christmas decorations that were part of a regional display that thousands of area residents would flock to throughout the season. It was all about the spectacle. It was my racing nightmare. My plans for the last race of the year were initially for the week prior at one of those races for rudders. No one showed up by accident in a costume or chose that trail for their first race. There weren't any of the festival atmospheres that you will find at some of the larger racers, but rather the aura was intense, filled with quiet tones. Most of the runners were seasoned with grizzled looks who avoided eye contact beyond a cursory nod. They stood alongside the elite that somehow managed to look fast even as they stood perfectly still while awaiting the gun. Instead, I stood at an alternative starting line, surrounded by kids screaming Christmas carols, and no one with any idea that the slowest runners shouldn't crowd to the front of the chute. A last-minute scheduling conflict had kept me from the race that I had been hoping would put a wrap on my season. So, determined to run more and more race, I had signed up for the run through the lights the very next weekend. I began to regret my decision as I approached the starting area, realizing this was precisely the kind of race that attracted those who rarely run, and I went to great effort to avoid. When the horn sounded, I began slowly inching toward the starting line, quickly realizing that many of those in front of me were walking, not because of the crowd's size, but because they planned on walking the entire way. For some reason, they were under the impression that a fun run through the holiday lights should be fun. I was irritated, and the race hadn't even started yet. I crossed the mat that activated my chip and began the process of trying to weave my way through the crowd in search of an open lane where I could settle into my pace. I failed spectacularly. It was a party. It was an event. It appeared that I was the only person that wasn't part of a large group. Clumps of participants trotted or walked side by side, frequently blocking the entire path, making passing only possible if I went off the track and around them in the snow or mud. They all apologized as I tromped around them, and then continued to block the path for the next person struggling to pass. Twice I came upon someone only to have them stop in their tracks directly in front of me, forcing me to jump to the side to avoid crashing into them. Worse yet, everyone I passed cheered me on as I raced toward the next overly extravagant decoration. Everyone was happy and enjoying themselves. It was the quintessential anti-runners race. I felt my frustration peak when it came around the corner toward a tunnel of lights that it was the most four feet wide, yet entirely blocked by a dozen twenty-somethings posing for pictures. This time I was going through, even if I had to break up their group with my elbows. I was not slowing down. If they wanted to have fun, good for them. But that doesn't give them the right to shut down the entire race just so that they can post their lives on Facebook. Then, as I approached, I suddenly slowed down to a trot. A racer was on one knee, holding out a black box in front of a young woman as their friends flashed their smartphones. The Christmas lights made it feel like a cave and I became aware of other runners clapping and yelling as they approached. The group gave us a small path to pass as the couple embraced. 
everyone giving me high fives as I exited the display. My plan is to never participate in that race again. I don't belong there. Regardless, I stopped sizing up who I needed to pass next and started taking in the spectacle all around me for the rest of the race. After all, it wasn't a race. It was a celebration. And even though I was alone and the night had turned bitter cold, like everyone else, I waited and cheered the newly engaged couple as they crossed the finish line, holding their hands high over their heads. I miss my grizzled, grumpy running cronies and look forward to our next unreasonable challenge. But as I pointed my car toward home, I was glad that I had stumbled into a place that I didn't belong and swore to never return. I rarely get excited before a run. On most days, I look forward to getting out on the streets or even on the nights when I'm dragging, still feel obligated to keep to my schedule, but rarely excited. Running could best be described as a need in my life. I should be taking an extra day of rest to nurse a sore hamstring, but I can't wait to get started. Dan Carlin has released a new hardcore history, and I'm aware that it's unlikely that most of his followers listen while they are running. However, it's a tradition, and I stick to it. The latest episode is Supernova in the East. Number five, coming in at over three hours, it will be my companion for the next couple of weeks. This series details the fighting in the Pacific during the Second World War, and as with all of his work, deals with war at a human level, which has little to do with what I was taught growing up. After a few minutes of listening to him describe the conditions and fighting on Papua New Guinea, you will have a new respect for those that fought in that theater. Headphones on, I'm out the door. The things that matter. I have been waiting for this day for two years. The race is on, and I'm not there. I'm 500 miles from the starting line because this is where I belong. The country is shutting down as the pandemic numbers soar, and we crammed in a quick visit to see our grandson, realizing that it could be our last opportunity to see him for months. I'm running down a rural road in western New York, exploring the countryside while he is being rocked down for a nap. All that I can hear is my breath and the sounds of my shoes striking the pavement. I'm working on getting the noise out of my life so that I have time for the people that matter. The race will be back next year, and I will beat the course, but he won't be 18 months old again. So I'm here. Thanks for listening to this edition of Still in the Race. If you would rather read than listen, much of the content, along with other odd thoughts and observations, find their way to stillintherace.com. As is always apparent, I require help getting my thoughts all headed in the same direction. Production, editing, music comes to us from Trey Jones. You can find him at treyjoneswriter.com. Art and additional editing, Astrid Burke. I look forward to next time when hopefully I'll have something to say, but don't count on it. <laughs>